think about the level of engagement and buy-in you have with your employees in your organization as I ask you this question. Are your people living for the brand or living off of the brand? Are your people living for the brand or living off of the brand? I first saw that question on the homepage of the website for Nova Logic. Nova Logic is a consulting and technology company that focuses on building high performance cultures. And in this episode, I interview Nova Logic CTO and EVP of professional services, Jeff Gray. We had an informative, inspirational, and fun interview, and here's what we talk about. We're going to talk about key teachable moments from Jeff's leadership journey so far. You're going to find out why every company has a culture host and how that person influences how people work. I guarantee when you hear about that and we talk about that, you're going to be thinking about who is the culture host within your organization. Jeff shares how to create a force multiplier and thoughtmosphere that can help turn your company's culture around. And you're going to learn about the three love languages businesses need to master to capture the energy and buy-in from today's employees. There's so much information here, good insight, information that you're going to want and need to continually build engagement and buy-in from your employees. So let's not wait anymore. Let's get started. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Welcome to episode number 36. The topic for today is architecting your company culture, and I'm interviewing Jeff Gray from Nova Logic. My name is Susie Price, and I am your host, as well as the owner of Priceless Professional Development. I'm a professional facilitator, consultant, and author, and we've been uh, running Priceless Professional Development, and this is our 14th year. So I'm excited about this podcast. It was interesting. This is the first podcast. This is number 36, but this is the first one that I've ever done in person. So often it's over the phone. And so that was an awesome way to do an interview. I felt a little like Oprah. Not really, but fun to be in person and to be able to exchange, you know, in the phone, you get the problem you get with conference calling sometimes where you talk over each other or you can't see the expressions. And so it was a milestone for me because I'm going to do more in-person interviews. But it is a milestone in another way because Jeff has a lot of great information to share with you about how to actually architect your company culture. He's passionate about the topic. You know, his background is credible and the work that they do with amazing organizations. I first met Jeff a couple of years ago. He was a panelist at a Technology Association of Georgia meeting, and I was very impressed with how thoughtful he was, his smart response. Responses to the dialogue on the panel. Uh, he's funny. You could tell he was serious, but he didn't take himself so serious. And you're going to see all of that or experience all of that in the interview. And so uh, many years ago, we connected and we finally got together this week. And this is July in Atlanta at his office to do this interview. So let me tell you a little bit about his bio and then we'll jump right into the interview. 
Jeff is the Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President of Professional Services at Nova Logic. He talks about this in the interview. He began his career with IBM, where he helped start the multimedia division. And then he moved into, with IBM, the Chief Technologist role. So during this time through his career with IBM and then with his work with Nova Logic, he's worked with many leading technology companies like Cisco, Microsoft. He's focused on defining technology standards for hardware, media, data integration. He's kicked off all kinds of tools and information that are used within web development. Companies like GE, Toyota, Home Depot, AT&T, Harvard, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, BP, and other global organizations continue to leverage Jeff's insight and guidance to solve strategic business needs targeting employee engagement, training, communication, marketing, machine learning, and technology selection. He is seen as a trusted advisor and his passion, and you'll hear this in the interview, is to help companies fulfill their brand promise by architecting a culture of engaged team members that are supported with technology, skills, and insights needed to perform their jobs better every day. So an impressive background. I know you're going to enjoy the interview. Let's get to it. So, Jeff, thank you for being here today. Appreciate you sharing your wisdom and talents with us. Oh, yeah. And sharing all that you know about building a culture and about your leadership career and life. But we're going to kick it off first with a couple of fun questions. Oh, and the sure. first one is to ask you to share a funny story your family tells about you. There's probably a good suite of those. <laughs> I would say that the one that they all probably tell more than any other one was, uh, well, first of all, my job is to embarrass my kids usually, but it's probably a story about three, four years ago where we had taken a group of people, uh, about 20 people to uh, Dollywood up in uh, Pigeon Forge. We were up there with 20 something people, 10 or so kids on their teens. We went to uh buffet because they're hungry little kids. And so it went to this, I think it was Mrs. Vinny's. It's a chicken buffet, kind of indoor, outdoor kind of eating area. And there was probably about 130, 140 people in that place. It's characterized by a lady that walks around in a an old turn of the century dress with a little chickens in her hats and little bitty glasses. And she's playing a banjo ukulele and singing songs and going around and putting rubber chickens on people's heads and just having fun with people. So she caught me coming back from the drink machine, refilling my drink. And she she has this mic, of course, so everybody can hear what she's saying. And she stops me and goes, she strums that little banjo ukulele and goes, I got a question for you. Says, and I was like, what? And she goes, would you dance with me? And when she said that, I was able to look right past her to see the table where all my kids were at. And one of my daughters, my middle daughter. How old is she? At the time, she was 15. Yeah. Her eyes just got as big as watermelons because she knew my answer, what my answer was going to be. <laughs> so I was like, sure, I'll dance with you. And I think it surprised this lady that I was just like, well, sure, I'll dance. And she goes, would you wear something for me? And I was like, sure. And so she ran over to this little closet in the corner and came back out with this big chicken hat, rooster cone, you know, and uh, it slipped over my head and I put it on and. And she said, would you wear something else? I was like, sure. 
So she went and got this big harness that had a big rooster tail. It's about six foot long, big yellow one, huge. And I think, I don't know if anybody's ever wore that before, but anyway, she was very happy that I was doing this. And so I put the thing on. My kids were absolutely just crawling under the table by this moment. So she pulls me into the front of the room and she goes, we're going to dance. And I was like, all right. She goes, I'm going to play a song. You can dance. I'm sure. Having grown up in the 80s and had been around break dancing. I could still do a few moves. I'm not Michael Jackson, but I could. You can break I could get, dance I could, I, huh, with a chicken costume and, on. And the fact that I have no kids. inhibition means I don't really care if I can't dance. So, <laughs> so I ended up somewhere between break dancing, clogging, and just busting moves. I started dancing there. And people were cracking up, but she ended up taking me out of that restaurant and parading me around a fountain with about five or 600 people laughing as I was break dancing and doing all these fun little things in a chicken suit. She came back in and she called me Chicken Jeff at this point. And she goes, Chicken Jeff, do you have anything you'd like to say, Chicken Jeff? I said, yeah, I do. And she goes, what is it? And I said, that's my daughter. And I pointed <laughs> to my daughter sitting in the corner. And she she turned beat red. Of course, my wife and everybody else was laughing too. But So that was very memorable. But the funny part about it was is uh, about a year later, year and a half later, we were back in that same restaurant and I was walking down, filling my plate. Just I'd just gotten into the restaurant and over the intercom, I heard Chicken Jeff. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and she had spotted me coming in and she goes, would you please? And I said, oh, sure. So we did, did an it encore. Again? Oh my god! <laughs> Your kids are like, we are never going back to that restaurant. How fun yeah, is that? So, yeah, key yeah. insight into uh, you're willing to have fun and embarrass your kids. Yeah, life yes. is too short not to create memory and have fun. Yeah, uh, laughter is is a, a wonderful therapeutic thing. Yes, so. it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is, and it's also therapeutic to do what? Embarrass your kids. Oh yes, <laughs> it is. It, it's it's good for me. <laughs> Get some thicker skin. It's good for them. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, not everything has to be serious in life. And yeah. uh, kids around that age, everything seems to be so, you have yeah. to walk a thin line of everything has to be a certain way. And life is not a straight line. Life is a bunch of curves and different points. So it's, yeah. you got to be able to deal with some of that. So we have a lot of fun. Oh, uh, it sounds like uh, it. Yeah. It's uh, Now, how many children do you have? Four. Four kids. Okay. Yeah, 21, 20. 17 and 15. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. are all adrenaline junkies. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, like to do fun things and go oh. and do. and. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If there's a story at the end of it and you live through it, that's our motto. Oh, I wonder where <laughs> they got that from. Chicken Jeff. That's what. <laughs> so, let's go to one other fun question and then we're going to dive into the culture. And that is, what actor would people say or would you say you'd like? Hey, play me in a movie. Who would people say? What would your family say? What would you say? Well, they've said in the past that after watching a variety of different movies, most people would say to play me would probably be Robin Williams. Yeah. You know. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No Um, inhibition. Yeah. Make memorable moments. Yes. Actually, the one movie Robin made, actually two movies Robin made, the first one that I think they would say would be the most characteristic was probably RV. You've never seen RV? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Oh, RV is hilarious. Yeah. He's a business executive and he has to figure out how to do vacation and also business at the same time without his wife and family knowing. So he rents an RV and goes to Colorado because he has to be at a business meeting, canceled the Hawaii trip. So it was the story about him, you know, going on this adventure 
in an RV for the first time. And it is hilarious. Okay. I actually have two copies. In case one eventually gets destroyed, I have a backup. Oh, that but, really uh, is a favorite movie. That is a yeah. fun movie. And then, okay. Uh, I'm going to have to. And there's parts of Goodwill Hunting that oh, uh, where yeah. he was in there it w- was a little bit different character. Yeah. So I spent a lot of times talking with my kids about stuff. Yeah. Because we never go anyplace alone. And sometimes they think I'm psychoanalyzing them. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm not psychoanalyzing. Just we're just talking. Yeah. You know, but that character, they also say I kind of sometimes yeah. remind them of. So well, in those two movies, I didn't know RV, but the way you described it is fun. But it's the business person, and yeah. you know, probably in ambition with the family, and then the. Goodwill Hunting, there were some serious parts of that and philosophical moments. And so, you you know, and he had that part of his personality, too, you know, very thoughtful, a thinker. I take you as being a thinker. And he had, in the Goodwill Hunting, he had lost stuff. Yeah. You know, Robin Williams had lost his wife. Yeah. There's a lot of reflection comes through loss. Yeah. 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 Oh, awesome. So, yeah, great sharing. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to tap your wisdom around your career as a leader. You're currently the chief technology officer and vice president of Nova Logic. Mm-hmm. And you've had moments to share. There's so many of the people who listen to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast are leaders at mm-hmm. all levels in organizations. So I'd love to know more about what you would say is your most challenging moment as a leader. Well, probably the one that I thought was going to get me fired. The first time, actually, not while I was here at uh, Nova Logic. It was actually at a prior employer, IBM. Yeah. So when I was working at IBM, I was the chief technologist there for what was referred to at the time as Global Services Internet Division. So anything that was dealing with the internet at that time, working with Macromedia or Cisco, coming up with technologies that would eventually drive the internet. That was my role, was validating that, figuring out partners and stuff that we needed to work with. And during that time, if you remember, the e-business bubble happened. Everybody was trying to go e-business. And uh, Lou Gerstner had convinced Welch that they were going to bring GE into the e-business arena, right? I remember as they were embarking on that journey to do that, which was pretty audacious for a company as big as GE, I remember going into a briefing and I was probably 31, 32, I guess. You know, we, at the time I had probably, I was over maybe 15 different development groups around the world at the time. And, but as we were going through that briefing, there was a lot of things that were visions that were being set in place that sounded very much like strategy. Everybody knew me. I didn't know them. I was asked to come there as a, to establish the credibility of the technology side of IBM. And I remember, uh, based on what was being vision casted in that meeting, I had a point where I had to make a decision of, do I tell them that this is not achievable in today's world or do I let that conversation keep building? So knowing that I'd probably be potentially walked out of this room, I had to speak up, not just for, you know, stewarding the client well, but I also had to be fair to my teams of things that were going to be asked of them that would not be fair uh, or even reasonable to ask. So I did. And I did actually get asked not to come back in the room. I thought that that may have been the end of my tour at, <laughs> uh, at IBM, but I had some great leaders that I worked for and stood behind any of the conversations we had. So it worked out well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were still some expectations, of course, that all, in large projects like that always get a little bit. A little bit off, but 
it was a point in time that I knew something was going to happen on the other end of this this conversation I was getting ready to start. That was probably my biggest convergent moment, if you know, as a leader going, okay, this is going to, this is going to take me in a different direction after this decision. Oh, that's a big decision. And it did. The different direction obviously served. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. It's very important to get clarity up front. The assumptions do not, (laughs) do not go well in large initiatives, strategic initiatives like that. And so being able to have a clear dialogue and understand, you know, your swim lanes of what you're really doing and what you're agreeing and promising to do as a brand promise has to stay true. That's one thing that we're rather set on Mm -hmm. as a company now at at, uh, Novologic, but myself, I, I love a soft pillow at night. <laughs> so sleep with what you did I sleep during with the day. What I did. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And that was in that moment you said, okay, I can sit here and let them talk themselves into what we can't give them. Mm-hmm. Or I can speak up. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of your core values in life. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Getting clarity up front. How else would you verbalize that? Like how it plays out today? Getting clarity up front. Know your swim lane, you said. Speaking up when things aren't yeah. on track. You know, one big word that gets bandied around a lot in leadership, but is being authentic. Yes. Transparent. Transparent. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say? But there's also the fact that, you know, I could have been correct in all those statements I said, but I think the thing that come out the other end of that conversation is they they knew I cared Uh about this working, not just being correct about it. When you're working with any group of people, to the extent they know that you care about not only them, but the outcome that authentic element of leadership, people can read through that in a heartbeat today. So if you had popped up and said, well, let me tell you, that's not how it works. And you can't do this or that. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the mode. It was a whole different mode, which gave the message that you was even though they didn't want to hear it. We do it even today. Before you can stand up in front of a whiteboard and do a math problem showing someone they're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You have to have the trust and credibility factor to do that because nobody really cares what you know. Right. What do you know connected with how much you care about the succeeding and us? Right. That's the magic. It's part. so interesting. I was thinking about this this morning because of something else I'm working on. And my thought was to myself, you have to earn the right to coach. Yes. So, and that's kind of what you're saying, because there's a situation where somebody is very plain what they need to see, Mm -hmm. but they haven't given, he has not given the folks around him the right to coach him. So he does not want to hear it. So he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to know Mm. the right math problem right now. So, so the trust and the, they're not asking. Oh yeah. So it's interesting. I've had multiple people over the years talk about a variety of, let's just say variations of the trust equation. Yeah. You know, you talk about competency, time that you've mm-hmm. spent with someone, your authority, intimacy, yep. divided by self-interest. Intimacy is really that authenticity where, you know, you kind of lay it out there and people can see that he's telling me things or she's yep. telling me things that are opening up that veil, if you will. And if you can show authority, but also show intimacy and things like that, I think that self-interest part gets diminished. How did you get that at 32? How did you know how to do that in that meeting at 32? Because that's that's probably, early on in your career. It, it, it was early on in my career. It was modeled uh-huh. uh, for that, me yep. by a few people. Yep. My manager I reported to at the time, his name is Steve Ray, 
whatever he said in private in a room, he would say the same thing in front uh, of a client. It didn't yeah. matter. He never had to manage what he told somebody. It was always the same. Yep. Yep. Which I love that. Yep. That is amazing. I always say that I have to be the same everywhere I go because I can't remember other oh, parts. Yeah. I'm, I'm not smart enough to manage I, all parts of different things. But yeah. And as but, I'm getting older, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine yeah. trying to – it almost freaks me out to have yeah. to think about people having to remember those kind of things. But Yeah, but and, there's a lot of that that goes on that is – inauthentic or not transparent. Mm-hmm. And so Steve really modeled that. Yeah, he did. He modeled that. And, my, and I would say, you know, my dad died when I was pretty young, but he modeled it. Mm-hmm. You remember. Oh, I remember yeah. that. He never counted to three. Huh? He would always say, this is it. Yeah. And he was very straightforward, yeah. very caring, but he was the first to speak up about anything. Oh, you know, so. yep. <laughs> I remember us saying something one day about why mom didn't do X, Y, and Z. And as soon as the word mom came out of my mouth, he jumped right in, you know, because she's number one for him. Yeah. And there was no arguing that. <laughs> we were definitely on the number two level, all the kids. But he modeled just integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Integrity. I was yeah. thinking integrity. He was, he was yeah. consistent. And he was also an absolute crackpot. He'd whistle up my mom up and down the grocery aisles and embarrass her and stuff like that. So <laughs> oh, I still well, do yeah, that. I yes. still do that to my wife. Yeah. So he yes. modeled a lot of fun stuff, but he yes. was also Yeah. And I think the same thing with Steve. Yeah. The integrity part. Yeah. They were always integrated, meaning what they said and what they did yeah. were always connected. And Steve also, just as another note, and I think this is a wonderful leadership attribute he had, he gave me opportunities to just go be awesome. Uh, like kick the door open and go, are you wanting to go through that door here? I'll kick the door open for you. Go be awesome in that, you know, so. Very encouraging. Very Saw encouraging. your strengths. Yeah. Spoke them out to you. And just, uh, I mean, literally. Let you go. Oh, yeah. Didn't micromanage. Yeah, oh, yeah. All yeah, of those he goes, things. Hey, I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. Do you think that? Sure, I'll try it. He goes, great. Go do it. It's almost like a blessing yeah. moment. Yeah. He was like, go do this. Yeah. You know, you're okay. You've yeah. got what it takes to go do this. Yeah. It's very empowering. Yeah. To do that. Really enjoyed my time with Steve and still work with Steve today. Oh, you do? Uh, yeah, really? Yeah. That's so he, cool. Yeah. He's become a client of ours over the years. Uh, yeah. In like that? two different ways. Huh. So, yeah. So I've had a chance to work with him still. So. And the good goes round and round and round oh, yeah. and round. Love yeah. that. Love that. Let's talk about your most, and I think you probably have a lot of these based on the what I do know about you so far, is, but your most rewarding moment as a leader. Ooh. Now that I've been talking, there's a lot of them that probably come to mind about that. Um, if you pick the number one? I would probably say, just categorically speaking, of all the people that I've been involved with that I was leading in some capacity, whether or not they reported me or not, was their ability to start leading others. And when I see them doing things I don't even know know about, in other words, they're not coming to me to check things off per se, or make sure I'm okay with it. They've taken the mantle, they're charging the field and they're doing it. The fact that they were able to carry that forward and also start developing other people. And some of these people, I don't even know. It's like a generational move uh, almost. When I see people that leading (laughs) that I've led and spoken into in some capacity, either just through behaviors or whatever, starting to lead other people. And I see that those relationships spawning, that is a leader should be characterized by how many leaders they create, 
not just their ability to indulge themselves in being the guy all the time. Nope. So I think leadership yep. is something you hand off. You encourage and build other leaders. You know, that's what we're trying to do with our kids, right? Right. We're that's exactly to- what I was thinking. And it was, think- <laughs> was thinking about your legacy. Yeah. That's your legacy. Yeah. Exactly. That's your legacy. Yes, you have your family legacy, but every day you have an opportunity whether you're the official leader or not, to make mm-hmm. a difference in people's lives. Exactly. And then when as the leader role and you see them taking on this. Oh, thing, yeah. That's so that's, cool. Yeah. I mean, amazing. that is like the best. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's like Love money. That. It's crazy. It, it literally, in my world, it, it's like a heartstring. Yeah. When I see that happen. Yeah. That's yeah. really neat. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody says that something has made a difference, mm-hmm. I feel good about it, but I feel... Like it's your legacy, and oh, yeah. I'm also just not attached. Oh, yeah. So, like, I don't feel like I got to own it. I don't need to tell anybody. Oh, yeah. It's like I'm on track. I'm oh, doing yeah. what I'm supposed to be doing, and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and it's all part of the good going around and around. You oh, know, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a funny feeling because it's like you don't crow about it. You just feel it. Oh, yeah. And it's good. Yeah. You, you know, I want to tell you an embarrassing story that people on the on this podcast will probably like, what is this guy? But, uh, <laughs> but, I'm sure it'll be good. What is it? <laughs> My oldest daughter, Jordan, goes to uh, Kennesaw State University. She runs track there. And they do a uh, set of leadership stuff from Tim Elmore called Habitudes. And Habitudes is a phenomenal series. As part of that, they teach, different ones of them teach that during the week. And I've spent a good bit of time with their coaches and different things, talking about leadership and different things. And my daughter, junior at this point there, she's gotten put into a place of leadership. So they were doing a variety of things over the last year or two for this last Father's Day. They did a video series on what's the things that your father has told you that's meant the most to you Uh, in making you successful. Yeah. I didn't know about this. I mean, so I just get a video link. My daughter said, Dad, don't be mad, but I'm laughing out loud, right? So I get this video link, and there's maybe a dozen athletes talking about, my dad told me this, my dad told me this. And and so she was on the very end of the video, and she said, the most important thing my dad told me that's had the biggest impact on my life is that sometimes you just got to snot bubble it. (laughs) (laughs) And and what that means is whatever you're doing, you need to be trying so hard that uh, physical snot bubbles are coming out because you will not give up. Oh, and how about it? That's Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. She just goes until she can't stop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She is relentless uh, force. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It, you know, it was funny. You know, I've, I've mentioned that. Yeah. My kids, I've yelled it on the baseball field and. It's just a funny little family cliche mm-hmm. that we sometimes are like, look, you're going to have adversity at different times in your life. And sometimes you just got to hold tight and power through this thing. You got to hold on. And it was funny. said that the people that were recording it laughed. She had to take a double take on it because they were laughing so loud. It's like, what did you say? So now everybody on that whole team, every time they see me, they yeah. go, yell at me this. Tell me that because I need to do this, you know. So uh-huh. it's become a little mantra for a lot of the the athletes on that college team. So how so. meaningful though to and to not be so serious about it to make uh, your point through something fun that yeah. she can get and that she remembers and the whole team now has. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it I was just funny. Love that. So if yeah. you go to KSU's website, you'll probably yeah, you'll find probably that video. See that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the it's talking about serious subjects, but doing it in a loving, fun, 
not yeah. so serious, don't take yourself so serious way or yeah. something, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. That's good. It sounds like your family is just super special. Oh, I love them. Yeah. 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 That's neat. That's funny that she was the last one on the video too. Oh, yeah. How perfect. <laughs> so let's go to one more, something most people don't know about you. Hmm. Let's see. What would be, I guess most people don't know I was a uh, college athlete. Yeah, yeah, makes so, sense. Sounds like your kids yeah, are. So yes. that was uh, that taught me a lot about time management, different things. Yeah, and it was one of the reasons I met my wife. Oh, so uh, what yeah. sport was it? Baseball. Baseball. Awesome. Yeah. So that was that was fun. Yeah. That was a fun time of life. What school? West Georgia. West Georgia. It's a Georgia boy. All yeah. right. So let's talk a little bit about your journey as a leader. It's always interesting for other leaders Mm -hmm. to learn about, okay, how did he get started as a leader? What has been his? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, at different points in my life, even through high school, I guess there were points that for whatever reason, I really don't know why, other than maybe I didn't have social inhibition, I ended up being asked to lead things. At the time, I didn't even know what that was. I just meant, you know, be the first one through the wall sometimes was the attribute I kind of associated with a leader at the time, the courageous one, I guess, you know. But as I grew, especially when I first started at IBM as a co-op, I realized that being a leader and stepping up to that means that you hold a lot of responsibility. Some of that started happening early on, I guess, when I really started understanding what a leader supposed to be doing rather than just being self-indulgent was probably as a co-op at IBM. Mm. When I was working there, there was everything was new. I mean, we were asked to start this thing called multimedia. It didn't even exist at the time. A lot of these new roads that were needing to be cleared, somebody had to clear them. So it sounded like a lot of fun, but I didn't realize the level of responsibility, the amount of lives and things that would be affected if those weren't done well and stewarded correctly. So that was an epiphany I had at that time. Real quickly, I realized that I needed to be able to get along well with people. I needed to have, understand and be able to not just support people the way I want to support them, but support people the way they need to be supported to work well together. So I spent probably six, seven years doing nothing more than studying behaviors, how people live, work, what makes them get up in the morning, what motivates them, how do they learn, mm. you know, to a point that I felt like I was Lightman on Lie to Me, if you've ever seen that series. I love that yeah. show. Yeah. I hate that it stopped I hate being that on. It stopped I hadn't being heard on. his name in a while. Uh, yes. yes. it's If you don't know the show, it's Lie yeah, to Me. Lie to Me. It's on mm. Netflix if you want to watch yeah, it. But great. he can read people and, yeah. and he makes all these assumptions. Yeah. I mean, there's different versions of it. What's the guy, Simon? There was another show where he did that. Oh, yeah, he did a very intuitive. similar. Yeah, but Lie yeah. to Me was, he was quirky, but was Yeah, cool. he was definitely yeah. quirky, but yeah. but his ability to yeah. read past the veil yeah. 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 and really understand what's creating a situation or a, or a demeanor, or, that was something I was very sensitive to. We all have natural tendencies of the ways we want things done, the way we communicate, the way, you know, we want information given to us. But to be able to step away from yourself and go, how does this person? That's a whole nother level. Yeah. And yeah. that that was something I realized pretty quickly when I started communicating with people. I was like, I told them. Yeah. And I'm like, why didn't they get that? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then I started realizing, oh, okay. 
I didn't tell it or I, talk to them in a way that they exa- could hear it. Exactly. And I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So good for you. That's um, so cool. Then, you know, the stuff with Steve. And then I'd probably say one of the last thing that really hit me as a leader was some of the work that we had done years ago with Chick fil A. Chick fil A is a very cause based company. And the stuff they were doing with their employees was leadership training. And it was servant based leadership work, you know, see and shape the future, you know, embody the values. You know, all these things that make up the serve model. And that was really a turning point for me as a leader because I, the intentionality mm-hmm. of leadership, being able to know the behaviors and characteristics that embody the values of the brand mm-hmm. was so important because you're, you're essentially an ambassador for the brand. Mm-hmm. And so those leadership behaviors are really, um, they're telling the world more about your brand than anything. So the intentionality of that and the value of understanding that as a leader, you're here to serve others, not to be served. That was huge. And just the way that it manifested in the work that we did with them really turned the dials for me even more. Just wonderful, wonderful people that we came in contact with at that time. You know, Henry Cloud and all kinds of people that are just phenomenal leaders. That was a big turning point for me. And and it became a big part of the work that we do. As an organization, and it's part of the whole idea of what culture. Leaders drive culture. Culture drives engagement. Engagement drives results. But it starts with leaders. Yep. Who are those leaders that are literally cultural hosts of those behaviors that you're wanting to see throughout your organization? Because you can't put a set of behaviors in place and expect someone to follow those without a leader that embodies them. It's not going to work. Right. So, And as you talk about your stories and you talk about your kids, and we all know this, People model what you're doing. Exactly. And they remember what you say if you say it in a way that they can hear it. Exactly. You know, and so I love, I I think you were the first person, and maybe it's been out there, but you were the first person that I had actually heard say culture host. Hmm. Maybe it's prevalent and it just kind of missed me or something. But when I heard it, I'm like, that is so right. And I think about different organizations and I think about, okay, who's the culture host? Mm. Some organizations that I know really well. And then you think, oh, it's this and this. And then because of that, it's this. Or who's the culture host? Oh, it's kind of weak. No wonder. Oh, yeah. You know, the core values don't work and people are turning over. And, you know, so I like all of that. And and that's one of the Whenever we're meeting with an organization, I can remember numerous times sitting in the lobby area wondering, will I find a cultural host mm-hmm. in this conversation? Because a lot of organizations want these values and behaviors to meet a business goal. Hey, we want to be preeminent in the marketplace with this, 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 and this. We're going to take care of people. We're going to, we're going to do this. And usually my first question is, point me to someone who does that. I love that. Yes. And hopefully that person is a leader because over a period of time for that to manifest itself as a cultural theme inside the organization, leaders need to be modeling it. And I mean, you can have your team members modeling it, but that will only survive for a certain amount of time that they're modeling it and the leaders aren't. Yep then they may not be your employee very long. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I have notes from our previous conversation where you talked about the culture host because I was just like, that is Mm -hmm. so spot on and so smart. But you talked about how do we create force multipliers Mm -hmm. and how do 
they dominate the airwaves. Oh, it's yeah. That, you know, so once you know it, that's where the focus is when you're talking about building culture so that you can oh, yeah. build engagement and then build. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, so how do you create force multipliers and dominate the airwaves? Well, a lot of times people think, you know, that these behaviors, attributes will meander their way into the organization, that it'll make its way through, or the assumption that they will. If you're launching a new product, you're making a brand promise to the marketplace, what do most companies do? They start communicating that brand promise, Mm -hmm. and they do it in a variety of channels, and they have different people that carry different parts of that narrative to the marketplace. The thing I think we've missed recently as in the marketplace is, can we take the same attitude internally? Because we have internal guests. They're called employees. <laughs> so we know how to yeah, we know how support to and roll out a product, product. But how do we roll Or even out? a movement. Yeah, true. I mean. That's right. So how can I take the heartbeat of the brand, the DNA of the brand that's manifested in those cultural hosts? Yeah. And create a force multiplier by communicating it across the organization in a variety of ways. It can happen in meetings. It can happen at, you know, events. It can happen at, in emails. It can happen in, you know, video blogs. It can happen in a variety of things. But the thing that we talk about to be able to get that inertia, you have to create a thought atmosphere. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so to get out of inertia, you have to create a thought atmosphere. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, you think about, you know, yeah. atmosphere, you know, yeah, air is what you breathe. It's beautiful. Thoughts. So, you know, with Angela Aarons, with, uh, when she was with Burberry, she never used the word thought atmosphere, but sh- what she was doing that turned that company around, 100 year old brand around, every day they read from a culture book. Uh, yeah. So every day they were creating a dialogue with the brand, not a monologue, but a dialogue with the brand where the things we're thinking about are consistent with our core values and consistent with the things that are happening outside this organization in the marketplace. So being able to balance my brand promise externally to my brand promise internally. Internally. So I have to create a a mindset. We call it a thought atmosphere (laughs) of what's important. Chick-fil-A yeah. creates the thought atmosphere of yeah. what's important. Yes. And you see it in every yeah. Chick-fil-A you exactly. go in. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, why do they have umbrellas? Well, because they see somebody struggling to get out of a car when it's raining. Their thought atmosphere is serve. Yeah. Serve people. Look for places to serve. Yeah. And that motivates that 16-year-old kid that would normally just kind of let that slide by to go, I need to be serving. But that's an intentional narrative. To, it's a wave going a wave. through the organization. Exactly. That they, you know, I think about an organization, an aviation business, where they rolled out their core values. And they had across the nation, every morning for 15 minutes, everybody pulled out their core value yeah. card and read it. And then each person in each team was responsible for doing something related to the core values. I mean, something simple like that. Exactly. That's, you know, that's, and when we would have training sessions, that's what we do every morning exactly. at 8 o'clock. And so it was top of mind. Top of mind. Yeah, top yes. of mind, which is the thought atmosphere. Which yes. is, These things stay top of mind. Yeah. And the cool thing about that is, is over a period of time, as you're consistent in that, if you yeah. build that force multiplier and you, yeah. you have those behaviors, the things you hear are the things you start thinking about. The yeah. things you start thinking about are the things you start to say. The things you say are, end up being the things you do. And over a period of time, the things that you do define you. Yeah. So- 
if we can create a relevant, meaningful, ongoing dialogue with the people that we're responsible for and stewarding, the brand and the employees, and being consistent in that, not only does it create great alignment, but it also starts creating gravity mm-hmm. where people that are similar that want to come along with you on this journey as a brand will start finding their way into your organization. And which means you have this war for talent starts changing. Yep. <laughs> the way that you look at that, the retention and sustainability starts changing, but it's not a quick fix. And it has to, has to, has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. You cannot go to Fifth Avenue anymore and build a brand that's not consistent with the internal brand. And so this intentionality of this, you know, making sure your core behaviors and those dialogue, that dialogue, meaningful dialogue happens is really important. And, you know, there's there's ways of doing that. There's tools that are changing in the HR space to allow for more meaningful dialogue. And so we're seeing the HR space shift in a variety of ways to help support these needs that are starting to manifest Mm. inside brands. Mm. So. So culture host, got to have somebody who's living it. Yes. Being it. How else would you describe the culture host? Present and visible. Present and visible. Yes. It sounds like they're on the culture 100% of the time in every conversation, in every dialogue. Yes. Yeah. Present uh, and visible. Yes. And a lot of times leaders, just because of their role and things like that, end up slowly getting more isolated. Yes. Yes. I see, and, I see um, that a lot in the executive suite. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, think it, do you think it has to come from the executive suite, the top first? I think it does, but I, think I don't it, know if I I'm think right. I think it, uh, in uh, privately held companies, a lot yeah. of times we see that at the very top. If it's yeah. not Private, held there, yeah. you're going to be uh, having a lot of friction in trying to move the needle forward with the culture if it's not consistent with the culture of the person ultimately that owns and makes the decisions in the brand. We have seen it in uh, mid-level leadership that can influence. You see pockets. Pockets. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that often, yeah. but yeah. And sometimes you'll see it broken down into different business units have certain, we call them subcultures, yep. that if you start doing a little bit of a investigation in there, you can see why. There's usually one or two influencers that are, that are driving Serving that. as a culture host exactly. for this, these better behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we hope that they're better behaviors, but yeah. a culture host can actually engender oh. bad behaviors. Oh, I'm all thinking about the positive piece, yeah. but they could be the culture host. It's neutral in regard to however this person dominates the airwaves is how the culture is yeah, exactly. rolling out. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. Could, you can create a very acidic culture. Yeah, we see uh, that plenty. And you can see that sometimes that ends up, you know, not supporting the, the mission of the company, maybe. You know, right, it's, uh, right. Anyway, culture can be bad or good. Right, right. Uh, I'm not thinking about the, yeah. the I, winning yeah, culture, I, I, but I always, you're right. You could have the culture host be somebody. Oh, you, yeah. You definitely see that, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then Make something gets, toxic. I've seen yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you start getting into collusive-like relationships and yeah. all kinds of It's tough, but that's why as you're doing this work, you know, getting a consistent culture, there has to be ways to propagate that effectively. And as companies get bigger and they get geographically dispersed away from the mothership, they get more complex. You can't use the things that got you there to get you to that next level. Yeah. 
There has to be different ways. Different people may need to come in play, different levels of leadership, different processes. Different technology. Different technology. Which is a piece of what you do. Yeah. Perfect example is performance management. Yeah. Think about 15 years ago with performance management and talent management. We got to, okay, we did our personal business commitments at the beginning of the year. And we're going to sit down with our manager and we're, we agree to do these things. And at mid-year, I'm going to do a checkpoint. And maybe at the end of the year, I'm going to do a review. And if I did a really good job, I may get a bonus. I may not. I may get a pay raise or may not based on these performance indicators that we've been trying to track. That dialogue, that frequency of dialogue, we're seeing not meeting the need. Mm-mm. People want to have meaningful ongoing dialogue. Mm-hmm. So as you think about the mechanisms of action of doing meetings three times a year with an employee or you know maybe two, what does it look like to actively coach and engage people? I mean to give feedback, to be able to do, you know, quick recalibration of activities, go do this, try that, so that you're creating not only a relationship with that individual, you're investing in them at this point. Not rather than trying to just deal with them three times a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's such a difference between I have to deal with you and we have a relationship, relationship. which is what you described with Steve. Exactly. And um, yeah. Yeah. So you're going to see, and we're already seeing it, a change in systems that allow for, we call them systems of engagement, by the yeah. way, yeah. that allow for the active dialogue and participation of coach and mentor with yep. teams. Yep. And yep. It's, it's crucial. It's crucial. Some of the key words that I heard just to recap is if you want to move from inertia around the culture that you want mm-hmm. to create, you have to dominate the thought must fear and get that <laughs> out. And it's a meaningful dialogue. Meaningful dialogue. Meaningful dialogue yeah. on a consistent basis that's authentic and is focused on building a relationship with the people you work with. And the Mm -hmm. people having a relationship with you, and I'm adding the extra here, a relationship to the company. Yes. Yeah. Buying into that brand promise that the company has set forward. We've seen a shift in the last 15 years in employees, quote, buying into the brand. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really, I think a lot of the dialogue, whether you're listening to Simon Sinek and a variety of others around what motivates the Gen Y We've seen a shift, let's just say engagement in employees. And, you know, just a real quick kind of background on engagement. You know, in the 1900s, when a job first started, when we had these things called factories, and I didn't have to pray for rain every day to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was trying to. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I was trying to survive. Right. And somebody offered me this thing that I could go and breathe coal dust every day for this thing called a wage which solved my survival need. So there was many people, the whole generation of people that gladly breathed coal dust for every day for 40 years because it met their survival need. So they were highly engaged to do that. As we went through the mid, you know, 1900s, the time that, you know, people were now looking for advancement, the types of jobs were getting a little bit more, uh, let's just say specialized in different ways. The things that came out of that first generation of management disciplines, who does what in mm-hmm. these these jobs, lots of management stuff come out of military and variety of things. But as we moved into the mid-century and people were wanting advancement, opportunity, those kind of things, this competency of leadership 
started coming up. So you had, I mean, books are still lining the shelves today of for the last 50, 60 years around leadership and leadership competencies. And that's great. Yeah. You know, people are wanting to live the American dream. So they wanted opportunity, career paths, things like that. How do I grow in this organization? So even today, if those two things aren't met, you're not going to have engagement. Yeah. You have to support a survival need. Yep. Give them what they need to make, do their jobs, give them opportunity, things like that. They want those things, but those are, let's just call it the Herzberg theory, which was oh, yeah. basically, you know, yep. these are the basics. Basics. Yeah. This word, is core blocking this and is, tackling. This is core stuff. You have yes. to have this. Exactly. But if you want more, exactly. there's so another level. As, yeah. as Maslow also predicted that as we met those needs, we were going to this next level. So generally speaking, the marketplace has started going into this a little bit of an attitude of almost similar to the experience economy. I'm wanting to connect my experience, the experience I want to have personally, right? Uh, self-expression and things like that, uh, my self-actualization. I want my work to connect with something meaningful. So 20 years ago, IBM would pick you to work for them. Now people have the attitude, I'm going to pick IBM to work for. Yes. yes. So they're wanting to connect their personal beliefs, attitudes, goals, reason for being, you might say, to their work. And as they've done that, and, you know, even Gallup since 1990 has been measuring engagement, our engagement still is like abysmal. super low, abysmal. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that we've, we've seen companies do and we've helped them do is understand there is a next tier of that beyond the leadership. And it's really getting into the idea of culture. Mm-hmm. And in that culture arena, we've seen three primary, let's just say, languages that people speak in that. People are connecting to what they do every day, either through one of these three, and there there may be more, but we've kind of like the three. That we've kind of seen three. One yeah. of them is craft. You know, they want to work. Some people are wired through craft. Sometimes you see that in artists. You know, I just want to sing. I just want to do art. Just, but you can also see the very same thing in someone that programs. Well, yeah, or my nephew who is a machine tool technologist. He's so proud yeah. of that. And that's all he talks about. Yeah. Is, you know, machiney, you know, and yeah. it's just that's where he's getting his love right now. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. They that practice that craft and they yeah. get fulfillment out of that craft. And for a lot of people, that's good enough. That's good. Yeah, I, I want to go someplace that practice my craft. Other people, you know, may be driven by cause. You know, why are we doing this? You know, are we building cathedral or am I laying bricks kind of thing? Yep. So what's the cause that this company's for? You know, we're, we're going to build the best technology ever. That's the cause or what are we going to yeah. impact people's What's my life? purpose? Purpose, a, exactly. Uh, Lisa McLeod wrote a good book, uh, Noble Purpose. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, so what's my noble purpose? And that's you know, tapping into cause. Exactly. People with, you know, Red Cross and variety of people, they don't care what craft they're doing because it's supporting a cause. Right. So their cause mindset. And then the third, you know, is community. I call it the norm effect. If everybody's watched Cheers, you know, yep. when Norm hey, walks norm. in. Norm. Yeah, I belong. Yes, you know, exactly. Because he, yeah. he is in a community yep. of people that he wants to be there, just like yep. the jingle says, right? Everybody, everybody wants calls, yeah, everybody wants to go. Yeah. You know, where somebody knows their name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's companies that have a wonderful, you know, community of people. And Truly, there's certain people that get up every day and that's what they want to be a part of. They want to be a part of that community. And so companies can use those three levers or should be using those three levers in orchestrating 
this internal brand experience? You know, how am I celebrating craft that's being done inside my organization? You know, how am I creating a community of practitioners where we know about each other and you're just not numbers? And in today's world where everything's around machine learning, BI and data, you know, a lot of people are afraid if everything's about numbers, they'll become one. So how do we create this community that supports that? And then how do we give them an audacious cause to why we should be doing this? Mm -hmm. And as you do that, different people, different groups in the organization, you'll start seeing discretionary efforts and all kinds of things start manifesting. But there's not just one language In other words, we've met companies where their cause was so important when they first started the brand, every message, all the communication through the brand was cause, 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 cause. It was wonderful. But as the company grew from, you know, 10 people to 70,000 people and the organization got bigger, the people at the very top were still cause mindset. The people going into the home serving these patients were cause mindset. But the, all the people in all the, the middle, people in the, in the middle, middle who make were, it happen, to make it happen, craft and community, or maybe community, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were feeling underappreciated. Yeah. So you can imagine when people feel unappreciated, they start having turnover. There's the engagement yeah. issue. Yeah. 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 The calls message even gets stopped in the middle, and never yeah. makes it down to the field. Yep. So that's where we're talking about using these multiple channels and creating this thought atmosphere. Right. And part of that is celebrating those three languages. And companies become known as that. Zappos. Yeah. Community. Yeah. 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 You know, they're a community. Tom Shoes. Cause. Cause. Yep. Google. Craft. And within each organization, they need all All pieces. But what do you get known for? Yeah. So Google, Google, if you characterize Google, or if I did, you would say Google is a craft community cause. Craft. They build yep. the best technology. Best. Yep. And they have Search. a great community to, of people to work together in. Yep. Yep. And then somewhere in there, they support causes. causes. Yeah. yeah. So this is interesting. I just had a thought as you were talking. Um, I used an assessment tool called Hartman, and it was oh, yeah. a science yeah. uh, of axiology, axiology. Yeah. where he discovered, truth? yeah, what is truth exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he talked about intrinsic, extrinsic, that's, and systemic. Yeah. And that's our thought process of how we think and make decisions. Yeah. And so we can measure that externally and internally. And I was just putting these in buckets with his, oh, okay. with yeah. axiology. Yeah. So yeah, intrinsic would be the cause because yeah. that's unlimited and that's, you know, all heart. And then extrinsic is the doing, oh, yeah. the craft, and systemic is the community. Yeah, that's great. You know, yeah. so it's like huh, light bulb. Oh, that's great. So it's just interesting. It's just you've tapped into eternal wisdom around how organizations can be effective, and oh, yeah. and, that's, and it's that's great so to see that that happen. Yeah. When you start seeing organizations realize that, just a lot of times it's just small changes. Yeah. Like they the way you start. just talked about the people who are the craft people who yeah. weren't really cause people. And I think that's probably a healthcare organization. Yeah, yeah. Remember you, those people weren't being appreciated, but it wasn't on purpose. No, it was it just because purpose. what used to work was talk about the cause. Exactly. You know? I know you have places to go and people to see. So we'll kind of yeah. start to close out a little bit. But I do want to hit on this one other thing is your ethnography, which I thought was oh, yeah. fascinating. And so this is a tool and I'll get you have to describe yeah. it way better than I can. But it is a way to figure out through an ethnography, which is going in and mm-hmm. finding out what's happening in the business, basically. Sure. And I'll get, like I say, get you to describe it. You figured out that the craft 
Yeah. people were not getting the attention that they need. So exactly. talk a little bit about an ethnography yeah. and what that is and how you yeah, use so, it. So an ethnography is a form of an anthropology type of attitude of going in and seeing how this organism, this community of people live, work, and move inside the organization. So a lot of times those ethnographies will start off with some kind of, uh, we call it a cultural survey. So we get a broad sweep of individuals, but then there is a observational process that we go through and start observing. You know, when we're working with some of the food service arena, we actually go in and watch. I've been into hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, food service companies and watch people do things. And those observations tell me so much about attitude and solutions we could bring to them. But it also gets into, you know, as we're doing these very, um, let's just say, deep conversations that are anonymous, we're looking for trends. We never come back and talk to people about specific people's comments, but we look for trends. And after you're, you're going through some of those interviews, along with some of that other observational data, you start really understanding that a lot of times the things that are on your customer are not your customer, but your employee satisfaction surveys aren't always consistent with what really is going on in that organization. So ethnography really helps us understand some of the things we need to do as far as communication, tweaks that we may need to make across areas of the business from pay to recruiting to a variety of things. It's, it's phenomenal. But it also gets into designing systems. You know, some of the ethnography work we've done with organizations made them switch their LMS. Their LMS was not fit for purpose in the context of this environment, but they didn't know that because no one had ever observed the environment. Decisions often made in a vacuum. Yeah. But, you know, with good intentions. Features. But, it's yeah, based features. on features, yeah. not on yeah. the context. Yeah. A lot of those, the ethnography work really helps us put together game plans for organizations on how to build that sustainable, not only a lot of times operational elements, but also this conversation and the thought atmosphere. atmosphere. I love that word. So, so. yeah, when I, I have notes from our previous conversation, kind of ethnography is what their culture is, how people feel about it, and how they can do better. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And when you do an ethnography, like my first thought is, and I think of some of my clients who might think that's interesting and be like, wonder how long that takes. How long does it oh, usually yeah. take to do something like that? I well, guess it depends on how big the big organization is, is, but yeah. what would be like a, an example? Is that like months or? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you look at trying to schedule people's time, yeah, especially yeah. in getting, and most of the groups we work with are a little larger groups, of course, right. but I mean, we've seen the, the ethnography go calendar wise within a month. Sometimes yeah. it's went above 60 days. To so, get but pretty the tight, though, it, yeah, to get it. Yeah. It's pretty tight, actually. Yeah. And I got to see a finished product of yeah. one, and I th I was impressed. Oh, okay. It was synthesized in a way that there was like, this is meaningful data. Yeah, and it gives them a roadmap Yeah, of here's things I can do. Yeah. Sometimes we are asked to come along and perform some of those recommendations. So a lot of times we're trying they to empower them to do it internally. To, yeah, so yeah. there's a ways to slice and dice yeah, Exactly. That. You know, as we think about the shift in the uh, culture and the – a variety of things that are going on in business. The ethnography, along with other processes, just need to come together to help really provide the contextual, meaningful needs of the employee. I mean, yeah. it really is. I mean, and we are seeing huge shifts in um, organizations, the way that they communicate, dialogue, and also do this thing called develop. 
people, yeah. you know? Yes. So how do we develop them? And it's a personal thing. We need to be willing to coach. We need to be able to be willing to have dialogue, but we also need to rethink our systems of record. A lot of the groups we work with that are pretty large, they literally have a technology trailer park of HR yeah. systems. Yes. Our employees are supposed to navigate through all these different systems to create context for their career there. Uh, rewards and recognition, LMS, HRIS, social, all of these systems. We're seeing this need for those to be unified. Yeah, it becomes a hassle yeah. inside of a big organization as opposed to yeah. the help that, that is yeah. intended. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it doesn't help the culture. So imagine, yeah. would Amazon create seven different domains for you to interact with Amazon? Oh, go no. over here to Amazon if you want to do video. Go over here if you want car parts. Go over here if you want to movies and We books. just don't expect that anymore. No. And, and you know, a lot of times it's interesting. I'll have executives say, how about those millennials? Oh, yeah. And so that's, you know, so I, I listen a little bit, but at some point I'm moving them off of that a little bit. It's like, okay, they're people. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And, and they're just bringing to light what is happening all in our culture. Exactly. And so, you know, labeling, you know, usually people don't want to hear it, but, you know, labeling, you yeah. know, but they're the cause of why we got to do all these changes. <laughs> I just think the world has changed. Uh, our expectations have changed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But it, it's fun and exciting. What are three things that you think, if leaders are listening to this right now, that they can begin doing right away to shape their culture, be a better culture host? If mm -hmm. they leave this, what are some things that come top of mind for you? Top three. Top three for leaders. I think we mentioned a few of them. One thing is to be present. And they can decide how that, in some cases, we've told executives they need to walk around three times a week. But what we're really trying to say is be present. Yes. You know, can you be present? Another one is quit monologuing all the time. A lot of leaders think that it's really important the things they have to say, which is a lot of times true. But it's more important to dialogue, really be courageous enough to get into a dialogue with people. And so I think that that is something that they could be doing. And then getting alignment with what their brand promise is and the behaviors they think that are inside their organization to meet that. There has to be alignment there. So if, you know, some reflection time of what is my brand promise as a company and is that consistent with the behaviors and stuff I think need to be internally to pull that off? And am I exhibiting those? There has to be a reflection moment for yes. leaders. Yes. And if there's two or three behaviors that are, hey, these are non-negotiables, every leader has them. What are my non-negotiables? If I can demonstrate, communicate those non-negotiables and actually do things, not just give it words, but actually give it action, find small points where you can take those core beliefs, create some action points and actually start things moving. You'll start seeing a really a big change in the people that are following you <laughs> yes. from an influence perspective. Yes. Those are probably the things that come top of mind right now. They're awesome. They're three of my most favorite. Talk <sighs> about being present all the time. And I love how you said quick monologuing. That is great because we have so much wisdom, Yeah, you know, and leaders do. And so it's interesting to yeah, be courageous enough to do that. And the reflection point around mm -hmm. your non-negotiables. So we're closing with a couple of final thoughts from you. If you could put, uh, this is going to be interesting. If you could put one billboard anywhere with oh. anything on it, what would it be and what would it say? Hmm. That's a good question. I keep coming back to uh, 
probably things people tell me, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, some, I think you would say that this. Yeah. Right? But, Dad and would, I would say that. Um, Snot bubble thing. The, the one thing I would say, I've asked this question even on LinkedIn numerous times. Yeah. I actually wrote an article on it. Yeah. Where did grit go? Uh, I did see that one time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that would be a question I would put on a billboard. Okay. Probably in every suburban community I can imagine. Okay. Where did grit go? And I think that that is something that I hope doesn't get more compromised in our culture. You, you know? feel like people give up too quickly. I think that there's hold true a, to their values. Uh, yeah, there's there's that, and it's remember the snot bubble comment I made at the beginning of yeah, the yeah, thing. Ties. it ties. Yeah. You know, I've thought about that whole thing of grit because I've seen people not taking responsibility for some of the things that they've done or their situation or things like that, or you know, I've seen athletes that give up or quit and things like that. And I've always wondered, you know, what makes up grit and for people to reflect on that, because for me, grit is, you know, an acronym. You have gratitude, people that have gratitude Mm -hmm. for what they have the opportunity to do have a different, I mean, their attitude's different. You know, do you have respect for yourself and others? Do you have integrity? The things you do and say you're going to do, are you going to do them? Mm -hmm. And then tenacity to go do it. Yep. Yep. My kids run track and I tell them, look, you know, you're in the top half of percentage point of people that for leisure have shoes. You're on a track. You're running in as a leisure. We're paying people to tell you how to run. The rest of the world wish they had shoes. They don't have shoes. Right. The fact that you're getting this opportunity, you should be very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And you know, are you respecting others? And the it's an inner strength and an outer yeah. strength. It's respect for others. Yes. And I go back to Hartman. I'm thinking about like there's a diagram of the Hartman dimensional balance page where your internals are really strong. Mm-hmm. You know who you are, and, and you yeah. have high role awareness and identity, sense of yeah. belonging. You're more likely not to blame others than externally. Yeah. Know, and respect for yourself is not, is not self-esteem. No. Self-esteem is coming from other people's opinion of you. Right. When you respect yeah. yourself, you understand who you are. Yeah, that you have value. Value, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and you actually can see that. Like with the yeah. Hartman, you can measure resiliency. Yeah, exactly. And you can measure personal accountability. And it, it comes from yeah. those areas. So that's where did grit go? Where did grit go? That's the billboard we want to see. And you're going to put it in suburban areas across the country. I, I want it, it starting at home. Yeah, I like that, yeah. starting at home. What advice would you give your 25 to 30-year-old self about how to become the best leader and person you could be? I would have told myself to find a mentor earlier. Mm. I was trying to figure it out. It took me a little longer. I think I would look for a mentor and read more. I think leaders, you know, are defined by, you know, their experiences a lot. So, you know, push yourself into new experiences because uh, to the level you have multiple experiences, I think you're going to be a better leader. I would have found a mentor quicker and probably read more. It wasn't until these convergent points that I felt like I needed to read yeah. things around these concepts, these loose little concepts called leadership. Yeah. So, That's what's so cool yeah. about leadership. I mean, yeah. there's never an ending. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. a, lot, a lot of different crafts yeah. is the case, but there's never an ending. You're never mm. going to have it all figured out. So yeah. you can always learn. So find a mentor, read more and be open to new experiences. Yeah. yeah. So last question. Uh, One thing you want other leaders to remember about creating an engaged, committed, and motivated culture. 
the last thing, kind of the takeaway that you'd like them to remember? A commitment to be intentional. It has to be part of your core strategy as a company. In other words, this is not a campaign that's going to run for 18 months. This is something that you have to commit to. And this has to become part of the DNA, an ongoing, sustained. You have to nurture, support, put process, time, investment around sustaining this. People do not drift into alignment. Mm. And knowing that, a culture will not stay intact. It will, by nature, drift away. So there has to be a intentionality, a commitment, an ongoing commitment to be true to sustaining this culture. So knowing that it's, again, not a project. Culture is not a project. It's a way of doing life and doing your business. Yeah. It has to be yeah. sustained. So. Well, you have been so gracious with your time. You have so much talent and wisdom and fun to share. So thank you for oh, it's my pleasure. being on the Wake Up Your Workforce podcast today. I know many people are going to benefit from what you shared. Oh, great. Yeah. And then I will share, if people want to reach you, I will have on the show notes uh, some contact information. But what is your favorite way if someone wants to reach out to you? Is it on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably one of the best ways. And, you know, just going to Novologic. Uh, dot com. There's a, they can find out more about some of the stuff we've talked about on the call and uh, can uh, connect with us there as well. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Have a great one. So I'm hoping that you enjoyed the interview, that you are clear now about a culture host and the three love languages, craft, cause, and community. That is so simple and so accurate. And it, it really gives a focus on a lens through which to look at different ways and needs of employees. So I'm excited that we were able to have this interview and I want you to know how to connect with Jeff. The NovaLogic link is novalogic.com slash catalyst. And you'll see a link on the show notes. The show notes for today's podcast is pricelessprofessional.com forward slash culture. And again, the website, if you go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash culture, you'll see a link. If you're listening to this on the app, if you hit the uh, album cover art, you'll be able to see the show notes. And there you'll see the link to novalogic.com catalyst, novalogic.com forward slash catalyst. And then on LinkedIn, if you want to try to connect with Jeff, his last name is spelled Gray, G-R-A-Y, and the company is Novologic, N-O-V-O. L-O-G-I-C. There's several Jeff Grays, so you'll need to put Jeff Gray Novologic. So coming up on Monday in July here, 2017, I am interviewing an expert in executive presence. And you're going to get to find out more about what it is and how to get it. The gentleman that I'm interviewing is a new partner of mine. He's part of an organization called Bates Communication. In May, I became certified in the tools that they use around executive presence. And so it's the only research-based multi-rater tool that provides accurate data on executive presence. It's what I love about the tools. It takes the mystery out of how and what a leader can do right now in their current environment to engage, align, inspire, get results, ignite performance. And so, you know, we're all about wake up eager here and creating a wake up eager workforce. And this is another tool in the tool chest to help executives measure that elusive quality called executive presence.
I'm very excited about this too. I'm very excited about the podcast. The gentleman, Scott Weigert, is an excellent certification trainer and has a lot of insight and talent and has debriefed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of of this executive presence index assessment. So it's going to be able to give us a lot of insight around executive presence and what is it and how to do more of it. So look forward to you hearing that. It'll be up soon. Meanwhile, if you need to get in touch with me, Susie at pricelessprofessional.com, S-U-Z-I-E at pricelessprofessional.com. I'm also on Twitter at Wake Up Eager. I'm on LinkedIn at Susie Price. And then, of course, on Facebook, it's Wake Up Eager Page. So until we meet again, all the best. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to PricelessProfessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 